Well, our lives are built on our choices. In fact, the better the choices, the better our lives. And right there we find the problem. If there's one thing that New Year's resolutions teach us, it's that better choices is something that's far easier to talk about and dream about than it is to actually accomplish. You see, by nature, there's just something in our wiring, something that drives us from within that gives us the propensity to make, you know, the wrong choices. So learning to make better choices really is, in the name of our series, a square one issue. One of the realities that make decision-making so tough is that we just can't see into the future. I, I mean, it's like... We, we can barely remember our past, let alone knowing what's going on in the future. And so we can't see all the ramifications, all of the consequences and outcomes of the decisions we're going to make. How do they turn out? Well, here's the good news. While it's true that we can't see into the future and know the results of our decisions, God can. And even better news, He's more than willing to help us in all of our choices. So here's the truth this weekend in square one related to choices. God cares about and has specific desires for us in each choice we make. God really does care about every single choice we make, big or small, and He actually has plans for us, desires for us, a will for us in each of those choices. Look at how the Bible says it in just a couple of places. Psalm 25, starting with verse 4. Show me your ways. You see, he has certain ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. He has specific paths he desires for us to take. Verse 9. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. When they're humble enough to listen, he's going to show them, spend time with them in each choice they make. And then verse 12 says, who then are those who fear the Lord, those who walk with him, trust him, reverence him? Well, whoever they are, he will instruct them in the ways they should choose. In every choice we make, there's a way we should choose and a way we shouldn't choose, a way we should go and a way we shouldn't go. And God cares deeply about the choice we make there. God, God has specific desires for us in each one of those choices. Again, look at Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I mean, he, he cares about us. He knows each step we take and cares about it and has a plan for us with each step we take. But often we're just taking steps. We're just making choices. Choices are literally what each day is about, and our life is built on it, and God cares about them, but we often just go by choices as if they're nothing. So I, I think the application in this series, which is about going back to square one, where we went wrong, and it's in our choices that we've gone wrong. If we're going to go back to square one and get it right, we have to spend time with this issue of choices. In fact, here's the application as I wrote it for this talk. If we want to experience God's best, which we do, I mean, we long for God's best, life to be lived out at its highest level. We, if we want that, we need to go back to square one. And we need to get right where we went wrong. We need to now seek to discover and fulfill God's desires 
in all of our choices. We can't just walk by choices and make them randomly anymore. We can't just do anything we want anymore. If we're going to really experience life at its best, then we have to go back to square one and we have to start finding God's will in each of our choices. Again, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death, you know, to destruction, to everything that we don't want in life. And man, that, that could almost be my life story, Proverbs 14, 12. It could have been written about me. It's like, it's, this looks like the right way. Walk you in it, Brad. Boom. Oh. I, I, I almost thought for a long time that my primary gift in life was to be able to make the absolute wrong decision at every turning point in my life. It's like, I, I, it's a gift. You know, my parents started going, it's a gift. You have a gift. You, you're a prodigy. You're a savant when it comes to making the wrong decisions. There is a way that appears to be right. And it wasn't that I always wanted to make the wrong decision. I wanted to do the right thing by myself. I wanted to, you know, experience life at its best. But, it just, it, but in the end, it, I just messed up a lot. Can, just curious. I know a lot of you are just, I know, Messiah 1, Messiah 2, Messiah 3. You know, if Messiah's not your first name, it's your middle name. I get it. But how many of you can relate to the idea that, man, you've tried to make right decisions, but boy, they turned out to be wrong? Can you, can you relate to that? Yeah. So we have to go back to square one, and we have to figure out how do we make our choices better? How do we connect with God in our choices? Look at Proverbs 16, verses 2 and 3. All a person's ways seem pure to them. I mean, they think they're doing the right thing. Boy, they're making the right decision. But, but motives are weighed by the Lord. I mean, he looks in and he knows what's motivating us. Is it the right thing or the wrong thing? What's guiding us, the right thing or the wrong thing? And so since motives are weighed by the Lord, verse 3 of Proverbs 16 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do. Have him and pleasing him and doing what he wants to be your motivation. And this is what he'll do. He'll establish your plans. Your life is going to be able to experience and express God's best because you're you're listening to what he cares about in your choices. You're, you're following his specific desires for you. And again, Psalm 27, verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path. And I, that has to become my deal because I, I'm, a, I'm a quick processor and a very activistic person. And so I, I come to a choice, boom, I'm in, boom, I'm in, boom, I'm in. And that's where I make mistakes. And I've had to learn to step back and say, you know, God, I don't have a clue what your way is here. Teach me it. I need you to show me your way. I need you to help me to make the right decisions. And if I can just pause for a second and include him, everything starts changing. So if we're going to experience God's best, the life that all of us are looking for, whether you put it in those terms or not, then we have to go back and we have to figure out how to make better choices, how to include God in those choices. And so for the rest of the, the conversation this weekend, before we get into baptism and worship, I, I just want to give you some of the filters, some of the lenses that I've established from God's Word for myself in helping me make better choices. This isn't about me telling you how to live better. This is about me sharing with you how I'm seeking to make better choices in that I have a propensity to make such bad ones, and hopefully it'll help you. Does that make sense? Every choice we make is made through the view of the lens we're seeing the choice through. And so for me, it's about putting the right lens on, putting the right filter on. And so I'm just going to share some filters with you that God makes clear can help us in our choices. And I think this is very practical. This whole series is supposed to be practical. 
And if you'll listen to it and think about these principles, and I've given you a bunch of verses, if you go back and trace through them yourselves, I think your choices can become an entirely different matter in your life. Here's the first one. If I want to discover God's will for my life and understand where he's leading me, what a better choice would be, then it starts with this filter. I need to run every choice through the filter of God's word. Now, I hope you've been a part of this whole series so far called Square One, and, and if not, we give them away online. You can get them. I hope that you'll watch them. Last week, we looked at truth. And so if the very first filter I have to put on, the very first filter we need to put on is the filter of God's Word. Look at Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed, satisfied, content, experiencing God's best is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. In other words, you're not going to be blessed if you follow the crowd. You're not going to be blessed if you, if you float in the current of culture and today's philosophies. That's, you think it's going to lead the right way, but it always leads to the wrong thing. But he says, but if you really want to experience God's best, it comes for those whose delight is in the law of the Lord. They delight in God's word, in God's truth, and what he said in his counsel so much that they actually meditate on it day and night. I mean, they just make it a part of their every day and night thoughtfulness. It, it starts rotating their mind, and that leads to experiencing God's best. It changes your choices. Look at Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. You can trust what he says. Making wise the simple, which is certainly what I need, the precepts of the Lord, God's Word again, it's right, and it gives joy to the heart instead of, you know, squashing our joy. We need to run every choice through the filter of God's Word. And then this one last, Psalm 119, 105, it's just such a great metaphor. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And isn't it true that choices are always made in the darkness of our inability to see ahead? I mean, we don't know. I mean, every choice I come to, it's like, if I think about it, it's like, I don't know. It's darkness. It's like I can't see anything, and I just have to decide where to go. But, but God's Word acts as a lamp, as a light to give us enough wisdom to take the next step in the right direction. So we need to run every choice through the filter of God's Word. And I, I just need to be honest. If all of my life I had run every choice through the filter of God's Word and then adhered to it, my life would be an entirely different story. Wouldn't yours? And for those of you who question, you know, is the Bible really God's Word? Can it really be helpful? I'm going to tell you, if I would have made every choice in light of the filter of God's Word, my life would in no way be worse and in every way be better in every way. You see, decision-making ultimately boils down to who or what we are going to trust. When I make a choice, I have to decide, am I going to trust myself and how I feel and what I want, what I think is going to do it? Remember that verse, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. Am I going to trust myself? I, I've learned that trusting myself doesn't work because in my best moments, I make my worst decisions sometimes. Am I going to trust others, what others say? Well, I'm going to include others, especially those who have proven themselves to be wise, wise counselors, my wife. In fact, the truth is, whether she's wise or not, listening to her makes my life better. So it's like, uh, you know how that goes. But it's like, am I going to trust 
others entirely? Or am I going to trust our world, what our world says? This is the way to happiness. This is what you need to live for. This is where you need to go. This is what you need to drive. Or am I going to trust God? Our choices are all made by trusting one of those. And here's the reality that I've discovered, and I can only share my experience, and I believe this matches up to the Bible and every story that cares about God. The reality is that only trusting God makes sense in the end. He made us. He knows us inside and out better than we know ourselves, better than others know us. He knows beginning from end, so he's not making a decision in in darkness, he sees beginning from the end and every consequence of every choice. And he's the one that established truth. You know, what's right, what's wrong. He established what works and what doesn't work. So why wouldn't we trust him more than ourselves or others? You see, a good example of this is that God established all physical laws. You know, when he created, he established physical truth, physical laws, like the law of gravity. You know, what goes up must come down. And the truth is that it's never a good decision to try and break one of God's established laws. I mean, just think about this. I know this is very simplistic, but it, it gets us to a complex truth. No matter how you feel or what your friends say or who's cheering you on, it's never a good idea to jump off a high-rise building without a parachute. Because the established law God gave us in creation will win, and you will crash. It's always a bad decision. In fact, if I could just be very pastoral for a minute, it's really not a good idea to jump off a high-rise with a parachute. Just a thought. But at least you have a chance, right? Well, just as God has given us some laws or truths in the physical realm, so He has given us laws, truths in the moral realm. And it's never a good idea to make the decision to do something that God has said not to do. It will always lead to a crash, always. So the very first thing we need to consider in making our choices, if we're going to experience God's best in our lives, is we need to consider in our daily choices, what does God's Word have to say about this issue? We need to care about it. Now, now, let's be honest. God's Word doesn't give us the answers for every choice to how we're going to live and every choice we, we're faced with and we need to make. Of course it doesn't. It doesn't give you the name of the person you should marry. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, he comes down to Sally and says, you should marry Mark. Allah, every Mark. Not that one. Ooh, you know, not that one. Ooh. But it doesn't do that. In fact, the Bible doesn't even tell you if you're a person that should consider the idea of marriage at all, right? It talks about marriage and what it is and reasons you should and reasons you shouldn't, but it doesn't say, you, Brad, should get married. It was Roxanne that told me that that had to happen, so that was a whole different voice. Uh, the Bible doesn't answer specific questions uh, about your vocation, what you should do and what you should do in the job, but it does give us all the principles we need to make choices that line up with God's desires for our lives that will lead to His best. So when making choices, big or small, we should always consider the principles that God has laid down in His Word that can help us make the right choices in the specific circumstances of our life. I guess this sentence is how I'll end this filter. We should never make a choice that compromises or goes against God's Word because if we do, 
it's the wrong choice. And which one of us hasn't made those choices, right? If we're going to experience God's best and go back to square one and, and discover and fulfill God's desires for our lives, make better choices, then we need to run every choice through the filter of what I'm going to call freedom and bondage. This works for me, freedom and bondage. And I, the words, I, I, I tried to pack the words in a way that gave you a desire for one versus the other. I don't know about you. I don't want to be in bondage. I've been in bondage enough in my life. I want freedom. Freedom has a very positive tonation to it. And I need this filter because every choice I make, I have found, either leads to greater freedom or greater bondage in my life. To right things or wrong things. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. I can make any choice I want. God's given me free will is what he's saying. But, but man, I'm not going to make a choice that masters me. He says, I will not be mastered by anything. Paul says, I am not going to use my freedom of choice to make choices that imprison me, put me in bondage, destroy me instead of give me freedom. And the reason is simple. He says it in Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus didn't come to put us in bondage. Jesus came to give us freedom, to get us out of prison, to get us out of bondage, to get us out of darkness. So he says, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And how is it that we can sacrifice the freedom Jesus has given us for the yoke of slavery? It's through our choices. And so in every choice, I have to go, is this going to lead to freedom or bondage? And here's what it looks like to run a choice through this filter, at least for me. I ask, if I make this decision, is there any potential that something other than Jesus Christ and his freedom is going to gain power or control in my life? You see, there are a lot of things in this world that may not be wrong, but if they begin owning you, if they begin taking first place in your life, they're wrong for you. So when making a decision, we need to make sure that we're not surrendering the power and control of our life to anything other than Jesus Christ and the freedom he came to give us. So the question I ask is, will the choice increase my freedom or put me in bondage? Run your last month of choices through that grid. It'll change your view of those choices. And if we could do it on the front end of our choice, imagine how many less bad choices we'll make at least. If we're really going to go back to square one and make better choices and experience God's best, then, then I think we need to run every choice through the filter of, again, in my words, what I call good, better, best. Good, better, best. And if I, I try to have conversations with you that give full disclosure about myself, if I'm really, really honest, for me, especially in this stage of my life, this is the foundational filter that I have to run through my grid. I, the God's Word filter, I'm, you know, I've been studying and teaching and trying to live by God's Word for a long time. doesn't mean I'm perfect at it, because I'm certainly not, but I mean, it's, it's kind of my view, you know, of, of the world. And, 
And when I, I think about all the other issues of life, when I think about freedom versus bondage, I mean, I, I do run that through the grid, that's helpful to me, but this one right here is the one that's really helpful for me. I, I get it from 1 Corinthians 10, 23, which is kind of a repeat of the principle we already heard. Paul says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Heard that already. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Not everything is constructive. I can do what I want. God's given me free will, but it doesn't mean that every choice is a constructive choice. In fact, if we really want what's best in our lives, then we need to stop making decisions based upon whether something is wrong or not wrong. Now, it's good to do that which is not wrong. Don't get me wrong. That wasn't even in my notes. I thought that was hot. But anyway, that's a whole different thing. But people do this all the time, right? People say, hey, there's nothing wrong with it. I can't tell you how often I hear that. I heard it a lot from my kids. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, okay, but that's a very poor way to make decisions. And I'm gonna tell you, this is your want. And this is why we make so many bad decisions because we're thinking there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's the bottom level of decision-making. There are a lot of things in the world that aren't necessarily wrong, but at the same time, not helpful, not constructive, not positive in the end. The best question is, what's the best thing I could do in this situation? Not what's right or wrong, not what's good, not what's better. What's the best I could do in this situation? And so I, if I can stop and say, all right, I know this isn't wrong, but is it good? Okay, yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, but is it better than good? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Is it the best choice I could make? It changes my decision-making, slows me down long enough to make a better choice. I, think about this. Deciding between what is good versus best is where the quality of our lives is really determined. Most of the important choices of our life are not between what's right and what's wrong. That's not where we live. That's not where life and God's best is found. I, for, I love how one pastor said it years ago. I've never forgotten it. He said, we don't wake up in the morning and say, shall I spend time in God's Word or shall I become an international terrorist? That's not where we're living. We're not living between that. Should I love my kids or kill them today? That's usually not really. Well, that's where some of you live, I know, but that's, that's not really where we're living. Rather, we wake up and we ask, and I'm using the spiritual illustration, but it works in every area. We, we, we wake up and ask, should I spend time in God's Word this morning, or should I read the news, or spend time on social media, or hit the snooze button? That's where we're living. And, of course, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but are they the best? The difference between making good and bad choices is not a question between right and wrong, but between good and best. Where do you make your choices and what's the filter? I think a great example of good, better, best is found in this Michigan guy. He's been in the news since the new year. So, I mean, middle of January, it just hit the, the media. He, he bought a couch and an ottoman from a Habitat for Humanity store for $70. And as it turns out, you know, and this makes sense, he, 
he wasn't well off. He was kind of battling with some poverty issues. He, uh, his roof was falling apart. He was in a, he was in a hard spot. And he, he bought this new couch in Ottoman for 70 bucks from Habitat for Humanity. And he found, you know, over time, the Ottoman extremely uncomfortable. It had a huge lump in it, he said. It was like hard. I, it just didn't feel right. And so he and his daughter-in-law tore it apart, and they found the reason for the lump. It had $43,000 in it. Forty-three grand. His initial reaction was, thank Jesus, you know, kind of thing. I'm putting my language to it, but it was like, man, he wanted to keep that cash. In fact, he contacted an attorney, and the attorney told him that it was his legal right to keep it. It's his. You bought the couch. It's in the couch. It's yours. Not right or wrong. It's right. But in the end, you know what he did? He decided to return it. Even though he needed it for his roof, he could have used it. He could have seen it as a God gift. He, he ran it through the filter, not of right or wrong. He ran it through the filter of good, better, best. And he searched down the original owners, and it turned out that it was their grandpa's couch in Ottoman, and he died, so they gave it to Habitat for Humanity, and they sold it. They didn't know that their grandpa was a crazy lunatic that would hide $43,000 in an Ottoman. This guy changed their lives. Good, better, best. And by the way, a group of people inspired by his choice have already raised over $15,000 for him with a GoFundMe thing because they said, this guy, he deserves a thing. But you, you just know this. You never know what the outcome of the best choice will be. You know, Jesus made all the best choices, and he was put on a cross, and he died. But remember what the ultimate outcome was. He was raised from the dead. He redeemed the entire world and universe, and he's the most highly exalted person sitting at the right hand of God right now because he didn't make the right, wrong choice. He made the best choice, right? The best choice. The best choices are where the quality of our lives are ultimately determined. Can I just ask you, have you been making the best choices? If you're going to go back to square one, that's where you should start. If we're going to really experience God's best, we need to run every choice through the filter of its impact to others, of its impact to others. Every bad choice I make, almost every bad choice I make, the only person I'm thinking of, I'm going to let you guess, the only person I'm thinking of is not Roxanne, me. Bad. The good choices are when I'm thinking of Roxanne. Because even if they're the wrong choice, happy wife, happy life. But that's a whole different issue. It's like, the, I'm thinking of me when I make bad choices. What will this do for me? How will this make me feel? Will this bring me pleasure? Will this get me where I want to get? So I need to back up and say, what will be its impact to others? Look at Romans 14, 12, and 13. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. We have to answer for ourselves. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. You see, the reality is that our lives are ultimately influencing other people's lives, and it's true of all of us, but I, I think parenting is a great example of this. What we do as parents, for those of us who are, profoundly affects our children. For example, when a, when a server at a restaurant doesn't charge us enough, 
We're teaching our kids about integrity by what we do in that moment. Do we go, save 10 bucks there? And you know how I helped deal with this in my own life? Every time the server overcharged me, even if it was by a penny, I would spend an hour getting it right. So if they undercharge me and I don't do something about it, what's it say? I'm a selfish, greedy person that has no ethics whatsoever, and I don't want to teach my kid that. And so you have to make the right choice. And this is true in what we watch and what we say and how we live and how we spend our time. And I, I, just, I just want to make sure that my life impacts my children and grandchildren and others in the right way. And, I mean, I, I, almost everywhere I go, it's, it's really weird. Um, after I make a choice and after I do something, someone will go and say, hey, Brad, it's good to see you. But they don't tell me on the front end. They tell me on the back end that they know me because they're trying to see what I'm like in the real world. The same is true for you. This is also very important. If you ever expect to influence people in the most important area of life spiritually, then how you live around people will ultimately live, uh, ultimately influence how they live and how they see Jesus. I think the majority of people who reject the idea of God and reject Jesus reject him because those who claim him in their sphere of influence live lives that they aren't attracted to. I mean, look at 1 Peter 2.12. Live such good lives among those who reject God that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they hate what you do and what you stand for, in the end, they're going to see the quality of your life, your good deeds, and in the end, they're going to glorify God on the day he visits. In other words, they're going to give their lives to him too because of the influence of your life. We need to make the choices of our lives through the filter of how it will impact others. And one last filter, you need to run every choice through the filter of value in hindsight. I call it retroactive living or retrospective living. I, I like to cast myself forward and think about how I'll feel about the decision then. Look at Ephesians 5, 15 and 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, that's normal, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, and every opportunity, the door into it is a choice. So make the most of every choice because the days are evil. Most people waste them. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand the choice you should make that will lead to the right fulfillment of that opportunity. 2 Corinthians 4.18 talks about it in eternal ways. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If we're going to make better choices in life, then we have to, we have to do the value through hindsight filter. If I make this decision, how will I feel about it tomorrow? How will I feel about it next year? How will I feel about it when I'm 80? For me, that's three months from now. But, uh, all right, not quite, but you get the idea. How will I feel about this when I'm standing in front of Jesus? How will I feel then? So if we want to experience God's best, we have to go back to square one and seek to discover God's desires for us and seek to live them out in our choices. So I hope those filters help you, but let me just give you a couple of action steps that I think are foundational to putting the right filters on. Here's the first. If you're really going to go back to square one and begin making better choices, you need to know it starts with your heart. 
And so the first thing you need to do is you need to make sure that, that your first choice at square one is to receive a new heart. That's why Jesus came, right? Jesus came to live the life that we failed to live, to die on the cross so that our sins and guilt and shame and broken hearts and messed up hearts could be made new and forgiven, and then He rose again to give us new life. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. We get a new heart, a new life. This is the one choice that you'll never regret and that every one of us needs. Have you made it? Before I give you the last action step thought and we move into baptism and worship, would you bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment, just, just for a moment? And as we bow, I just encourage you to run your heart through the grid of those filters. Run your choices through the grid. Not, if you're here and you've never received Jesus' forgiveness and new heart, I, pray with me now, would you? Take the step. Take my words in this prayer and make them yours, not out loud, but in your heart. Just say, Jesus, today I'm, I'm asking you to give me a new heart. I, I'm... I, I'm confessing that I'm guilty, I've sinned, but I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and rose again to give me new life. And I'm asking you, I'm really asking you, God, to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed, I just really want to encourage you, let us help you take next steps. We've put together information we can give to you. We would love to give you a New Testament part of the Bible, but we just need to know. So you can fill out the Connect card in the program we gave you. There's a place where you can say, I prayed with you. You can get it to guest services or to us, and, and, or you can text us. You can see how to do that as well on the videos or in the program. But let us know so that we can send you some information, okay? But there's one last part. Once you receive a new heart, the important thing is to protect that heart. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do, every choice you make, flows from it. Once you receive the new heart, your choices can hurt it or help it. Guard your heart. So that's the last action step. Start guarding your heart. Start guarding your heart. Start putting different filters in front of yourself with every choice. And I encourage you this week, go through each of these filters and run your choices through these grids. I promise you it can change your life. Receive a new heart and start guarding your heart. Now, what I wanted to do is kind of give you one example based upon what we're doing now, baptism, as a way to run your choices through the filter. When I first came to faith in Jesus back um, as a young man, after having lived a messed up life, someone told me that I needed to get baptized. And I told them they were crazy. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I, had, I wanted nothing to do with being baptized. Remember, I'm making a choice. Will I do it or won't I do it? And I was saying, no. And they challenged me. Why don't you get in God's Word and see? So I had to run that choice through the filter. But you have to understand why I didn't want to get baptized. I didn't want to get baptized, not because it's wet and you know, I'd look funky coming out of the water in front of people and all that. That's not why I was. I didn't want to get baptized because as an infant, I grew up Episcopalian, and my parents had me baptized as an infant. You know, the whole sprinkling thing and the cross on my head deal and the priest saying, now he's a believer and the Holy Spirit's in him, everything's fine. 
Yeah, when I was about six, they took me back to the priest and said, is there a warranty on that baptism? Because it's not working. <laughs> Didn't work. Then when I was about 10, my parents actually started a relationship with Jesus, found a different church, and in that church, they got baptized again, only they got baptized by immersion, you know, all the way down the water. And because they found faith and they were getting baptized, guess who they had get baptized too? Me. I didn't find faith. I didn't find Jesus, but they had me baptized. In fact, they held me down underwater for three minutes to make sure all the demons came out. You know, I was like, get that done. We won't be doing that to the, well, to a couple of these people maybe, but. Uh... And then I found faith in Jesus. And the reason I didn't want to get baptized because I felt like if God needs me to get wet again, then he's got a water fetish and I'm not going to feed that, right? It's like, I'm not getting, I'm not going to participate, but. I got into God's Word and I started running the choices through the filter. And you know what God's Word said? God's Word didn't say, parents, have your kids baptized. The Bible said that when you follow Jesus, then you should be baptized. It's your choice. And I had to decide, was I going to do what I wanted to do or what God wanted me to do? And what's good, better, best here? And I went through every single one of these and I realized there's only one decision I'm going to make if I'm really going to be a follower of Jesus and it's going to be to choose his way instead of my way. And I believe a lot of us here have decided to follow Jesus, but we're still choosing our way instead of his way. And my life was changed when I put faith in Jesus, but my life was changed when I finally made the choice to do what he was asking me to do instead of what I wanted to do. And that's what's going on right now. These people have put faith in Jesus and they're saying, I am going to follow him all in, which is something we celebrate. We're going to celebrate it. If you're newer to Northridge or a guest, we're so glad you're here. Just know we clap during baptism. We worship during it. We're celebrating what God's done. There's all kinds of stuff going on because we think it's the most exciting moment in life because these people are saying, I'm following Jesus. That's my choice. I'm going his way. And we know that's where life changes. So would you join us in celebrating these who now are getting baptized? <clears throat>